Samuel. If you're new with us here this morning, we just kicked off a, a series uh, in the book of 1 Samuel. And my hope is as we journey through this book, we would get stirred up and caught up in the re- great redemption story that God has laid out for us in Scripture. That we would become more familiar and acquainted with God's redemptive history, His redemptive work, and that our faith would be strengthened, that we would believe God to do great things in our day and, and show up in our day. And as we go through First Samuel also, I, I desire that we see Jesus in this book. Christ, that all of Scripture points us to Jesus, the, the greatest King, the King of Kings. And so as we study this book, uh, let us look for Jesus. Let us look for how God has revealed himself through Holy Scripture, who he declares himself to be, what he has done, what he has promised. Let us learn from the, the negative examples as well as the positive examples as we see in the book of 1 Samuel. Last week, we started off in chapter 1, and we looked at the life of Hannah, this godly mother who had the pain of barrenness. A godly mother who couldn't have children. And she wanted to have children, and her name means favor or favored. And it didn't seem like she was experiencing, ironically, the favor of God on her life because the Lord closed her womb. She couldn't, she couldn't bear children. And then she was being taunted. Her husband had another wife who was giving her a hard time, bullying her. We talked about that this past week. She was bullying uh, Hannah and giving her a hard time. And Hannah, Hannah was a woman who was distressed in spirit. She was distressed, deeply distressed, troubled in spirit and was experiencing much pain. And she models for us what others do in the scripture, how to bring our pain to God in prayer. The apostle Paul did it when he had a thorn in his flesh. The David did it throughout the Psalms. We have many of the Psalms because of the painful experiences that David walked through in life. Our Lord Jesus did it when he went to the cross for us and he faced the greatest pain ever. He pleaded, if there's any way, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so Hannah teaches us how to pour out our hearts to God, how to bring our pain to God in prayer. And we have this beautiful, redemptive story of of what God does on her behalf. As she trusts him. This week we're going to look at chapter 2. And I've titled the message. True worship and corrupt priest. True worship and corrupt priest. In chapter 1 we were introduced to Hannah. Samuel's mother. Okay. This was in a day when there were. There was a lack of leadership in Israel. There was a lack of godly leadership in Israel coming off the heels of the book of Judges, the time of the Judges. There there was no king in Israel, so everyone did what was evil in their own sight or did what was right in their own sight. They did evil because there was a lack of godly leadership to point the way, show them the way, instruct them in the way, model the way. And 1 Samuel is an answer to that problem. Of a lack of godly leadership. And God raises up true worshipers. Jesus said in John chapter 4 that the Father is seeking true worshipers who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And I believe that we have a glimpse of one in the Old Testament here of Hannah who brought her petition to God. All right? She brought her pain and brought her request to God in prayer. God heard her prayer, gave her a son, and then she brought her, God bless you, she brought her praise to God. She brought her pain to God and petitioned, God, look on my distress, give me a son. And then God answers and she rightly responded in bringing her praise to God and she offered up her son to be devoted to the Lord. 
all the days of his life once he got weaned. Amazing, amazing example. All right? But in contrast to her beautiful praise, and we're going to look at her praise. Actually, let me pray and we'll, we'll dive in. Father, as we open up the scriptures, would you open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word? Would you move us on to your agenda? Would you teach us to be true worshipers, to respond to your worth, to your beauty, to your glory, to, to take you seriously and to enjoy knowing you and worshiping you and deliver us from the corruption of sin. Deliver us from hypocrisy, deceit, Deliver us from the evil one, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. amen. First Samuel chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies, because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, and she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills, and the Lord brings to life. He brings down to Sheol, and he raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low, and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked, he, the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces against them. He will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. And he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah, that's Samuel's father, Hannah's husband, Elkanah went home to Ramah and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, the priest. All God's people said, Amen. Amen to this beautiful praise, this beautiful prayer. Here's our big idea as I've tried to condense it and sum up the chapter. And we're going to start with these first 11 verses and then work our way later on through uh, the rest of the chapter, Lord willing. But here's, here's the big idea. God is worthy of our worship rendered both in joy and reverence. For who he is, for what he has done, and what he has said. He will raise up those who represent him well in response to his worth. And he will remove those who don't represent him well. Amen? So, first let's start with Hannah's praise here. Hannah's praise was personal. Okay? Hannah's praise was personal. She personally experienced God come through for her. She poured out her heart to God and God heard her. And she responded to God. When God answered her, she responded with these beautiful words. And I encourage you to take a look at Luke chapter 1 sometime this week and read Mary's prayer in the gospel and, and note the similarities between Hannah's prayer and Mary's prayer. It seemed that, that Mary um, used some of the same verbiage or same, some of the same ideas or themes are highlighted in both prayers. But notice here the, the, the language that she uses. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn 
is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies and because I rejoice in your salvation. You see, her praise came to God from her heart. Okay, this is what true worship is, by the way. It's from the, it's from the inside out. Okay, it's not merely external. It comes from the inside out. She experienced God and she's responding to who God is. And she's using these, these personal terms. My heart exalts in the Lord. Because she saw God show up for her. Okay, her heart found great joy in God and in his salvation. I rejoice in your salvation. Okay. Notice this language here, because she was in a really difficult circumstance. She was distressed. She was troubled in spirit. Life was bitter and difficult for her for the lot that she was experiencing in life. Now, it may seem like a small story in light of all the other big things in the world that are going on. But I love that God takes notice of the seemingly small people. You might say there's no small people in God's eyes. And when we're, when we're walking with Him and we're living our lives faithfully in obscurity, we can know that God sees us. God hears us. God will show up for His people. He will give us the grace Amen. that we need to endure what we need to endure. And ultimately, we will see great salvation that comes from Him. But Hannah speaks of what you might call a micro-salvation. A micro-deliverance, a small deliverance. I love like the, the book of Ruth during the days of judges when things were really dark and really evil and all this corrupt uh, corruptness was occurring in, in, in those times. There's this beautiful redemptive story of Ruth and God working to provide and protect and shield and, and take care of this woman who found shelter in the wings of the Most High. And so she experienced this micro-salvation. I like how um, uh, Dale Ralph Davis put it. He said, every time God lifts you out of a miry bog and sets your feet upon a rock is a, I'm sorry, sample, not, not staple, 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 is a sample of the coming kingdom of God, a down payment of the full deliverance the macro salvation that will be yours at last. Isn't that good? You see, God's delivered. Here's a specific deliverance. Here's a micro salvation, if you will. Here's God showing up for one lady, one family, one circumstance. And he does this so much. There's so many stories that we don't hear about and don't know about. Here's just, we have some in the Bible to take note of. Here's what God's done. And he's working. Even when things look really bad at large, there's these little micro-salvations happening. These, these areas where God is showing up, delivering, rescuing, preserving, providing, guiding. Amen. And that's why we don't look, down, look down upon the, the, the little testimonies that we share here on Sundays. The little things, that, the seemingly little things that God is doing for us. And we share those to encourage others in the body. Because we serve a God who knows, who sees, who hears, who acts, who is involved in his world. He is providentially working out his purposes in the world. Amen. And as we talked about it last week, he does so through our pain and through our prayers. So be encouraged, saints. Our God saves. And let us rejoice in our God who saves, who sent a Savior. And we'll see that Hannah's praise points us to the ultimate salvation, the ultimate Savior here. Um, Hannah's praise was also God-centered. Okay, She didn't just stay on the me, the my. Okay, True worship is focused on God. It's personal. And when you read the Psalms, there's a lot of me, my, and I language. Alright? But it's all wrapped up around God. It's personalized, but it's wrapped up about God. It's not about us and me and worship. I know many of us have a problem with the me focused in contemporary worship. Right? We should have a God-centered focus. 
But also we are responding, responding personally to God. We, we have a personal relationship with a God who loves us, who saves us, who has re, uh, brought redemption into our lives. And so we respond from the heart. I know like Dick Wakeman, a lot of the songs that he, he sings, he will intentionally to personalize them when he's singing to God, right? And, and turn them into to prayers. I think that's great. And in and, and the scriptures, we have both. We have both. Um, the, you know, singing about God, sing with me, how great. Our, the Lord reigns, like we, we declaratively sing amongst the people of God in our worship, and then we, we personally and directly sing to Him in our praise, in our worship. But notice that, that Hannah's prayer was, or praise, was God-centered. It was focused on His character, who He is, and what He has done, and what He does. Okay? God's character, He's holy. There's none holy like the Lord. There's none beside you. There's no rock like our God. She's focusing in on who He is. He's the Lord who's a God of knowledge. He knows. Now, I can't help but think of Exodus 2. When the Lord saw the Israelites being oppressed, the Lord saw, He heard, and He knew He's a God who knows. Nothing gets by him. He knows. I love the, the old song, Jesus knows all about our troubles. He will help me out. I forgot it. It's a good song. Check it out. Jesus knows all about our troubles. Um, sing it next week. Sing it next week. That's right, Kevin. We'll, we'll add that in. So she focused in on God's character. She focused in on God's work. She says that by him, actions are weighed. She says, the Lord kills. And the Lord brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he, he raises up. Now I know verses like this may trouble us. We read through our Bible and we, and I said last week, don't just skip over, like pause and think on that. Yeah. You know, because we know he, he wants to give life. He wants people to live. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. But we're, it's clear in Scripture that death is the penalty for mankind's sin. And that man experiences death immediately because of our actions, our rebellion against the holy God. And ultimately, all of life is under God's sovereign rule. He's the giver and the sustainer of all of life. And he has a right, he has the right, the sole right... To end a life that is acting corruptly, like we, I mentioned Pharaoh last week. Or these other two guys that we're going to read about here in a moment. Hophni and Phinehas. And so the Lord kills and the Lord brings to life. He brings down the shield and he raises up. She's praising God for his works. The Lord makes poor and the Lord makes rich. By the way, Hannah experienced God giving life with this child, Samuel. She's praising the God who's sovereign over all of human life, who opened her womb and granted her a child. And we read later on, not just one, she ended up getting more children, by the way. Right? She gave, and, and pre, she, she like pre-committed to giving Samuel to the Lord. If you give me a, a child, he's yours, God. Beautiful commitment there. Beautiful surrender there. And God ended up blessing her with more. So we'll see. And so um, she says she's praising God for the Lord makes poor and the Lord makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. He makes them to sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones. These are all things that God does that she's praising him for who he is and what he does. Aren't you glad that our God rules and reigns over all, that, some, that not some evil tyrant is on the throne and in control? We have a good God, and we have a great God who reigns and rules over all. And those of us who struggle with anxiety, this can help us. If we get to know God better and we take refuge in Him and find our confidence and peace in a good, great God, a righteous God, a just God. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. I love this. For not by might shall man prevail. This is something we see. This is this little praise here at the beginning of 1 Samuel is giving us a summary of 
the book and what God's up to in this redemptive story that we get a glimpse into in 1 Samuel. Verse 10 and, and beyond. Verse 10, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king. Now note, there was not a king in Israel at this point. Why is she saying that? Israel did not have a king yet. Saul ended up becoming the very first king. And Samuel, God used Samuel to anoint Saul to be the very first king. Later on, he was rejected. And then David, the greatest king Israel ever experienced, Samuel had the privilege of anointing him. All right? But Hannah is speaking better than she knows in her praise, in her prayers. You might say she's speaking prophetically. All right? And she says... The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. Okay, that's definitely future tense. He's going to judge the ends of the earth. This is very clear all throughout Scripture. He's a God who knows. He's a God who weighs. He's the God to whom all will give an account for. For our actions, for our words, for every thought. Including every idle word that we've spoken, Jesus has said. But he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Y'all know what the word anointed is? There? It's Messiah. In Greek, it's Christ. Okay? Now, the word is used 38 times in the Old Testament. It usually refers to pouring or smearing sacred oil on a person in a ceremony of dedication, possibly possibly symbolizing divine empowering to accomplish the task of the office, the anointed one, the Messiah, God's ultimate chosen one is identified in the New Testament as Jesus. Hannah spoke better than she knew. Israel needed a leader. And God was going to give them an earthly a, a, a leader in, in body to, to, to lead them, right? But ultimately, Jesus is the leader that Israel needs and that we need Amen. to reign and rule in our lives. He is the perfect king. He is the righteous king, the just king, the holy king who has come. Hallelujah. And so the book of Samuel, um, this is a, uh, let, me, let me read this quote here. Elkanah's family was a microcosm of Israel, divided between high and low, between the proud and the humble or humbled. And Hannah's story is the plot of the books of Samuel in miniature. Okay? And so we see God bringing down the ungodly, those who have positions of power and misuse their power and privilege, and those whom God raises up. And by the way, when Jesus comes and his kingdom comes, Mary's praising God for the same thing that God's doing through the coming of his kingdom. Right? We see Jesus raising up those who, healing the brokenhearted, preaching the gospel to the poor, setting the captives free. And there's this great reversal with the coming of the king's reign. Tim Chester goes on and he writes about that. What Hannah's song says is, God's kingdom is coming, and when he comes, he will turn the world upside down. And that directs our attention forward in the story. The scriptures point to King Jesus. When Jesus the King was resurrected from the dead, he was walking, he showed up in, in disguise and was walking with some of his disciples and they didn't recognize him and, and he explained how the scriptures pointed to him from the Old Testament. And they didn't realize it. And, and, and later on they, they, they realized who it was and they said, did not our hearts burn within us as he opened to us the scriptures as we walked along the way may our hearts burn within us as we hear the message of Christ as we journey through this book as we see Jesus the king the king we've been looking for the king we long for the king we need to reign and rule in our lives the king who brings righteousness peace and joy in his holy spirit Eugene Peterson does a great job writing about this great reversal as well. The strong and the weak, the fool and the hungry, the fertile and the barren all find their positions reversed. 
Nothing has to remain the way it is in a world in which God is sovereign. Nothing circumstantial is set in concrete. Next, God's sovereignty is explicitly extended to include the absolute extremes of possibility. No part of our human existence takes place apart from God. God's presence and action embrace the polarities of life and death, success and failure. Isn't this what Jesus taught about in Luke 6 and Matthew chapter 5? We talked about the poor receiving, inheriting the kingdom, the meek inheriting the earth, right? Those who hunger, being filled with righteousness, being satisfied and taken care of. This is this great reversal, this kingdom paradox. Jesus said the first will be last. The last will be first, right? The way up is down. To experience life, you die, you give up your life, right? You want to be blessed? Be generous, right? There's this great reversal, this kingdom paradox that we see that accompanies the coming of the kingdom of God. And so let's let's move on from, from examples of true worship, an example of true worship and celebrating who God is and what he has done to some corrupt priests, men who were entrusted to lead the people in true worship. Men who were entrusted to model true worship and lead the people of Israel in true worship, but failed to fulfill their God-given responsibilities. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. If you have the ESV, it says scoundrels. They were scoundrels, I'll tell you. They were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Another translation says they didn't respect the Lord or regard the Lord. By the way, this is the same word that Hannah used when she told um, Eli, when Eli thought she was drunk when she was praying. She said, don't regard me as a worthless woman. I'm not drunk. Right? Okay? And so, so <clears throat> they were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priest with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with the meat boiling. When, when the meat, while the meat was boiling, with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or the kettle or calderon or pot, and, and all the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself this is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, the, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. Okay, now this is important because in Leviticus chapter 6 and 7, it said that the fat was, be, it was to be the Lord's. God prescribed how the Israelites were to bring their offerings to God. And these priests were, were, were changing things up. They weren't following the pattern that God had prescribed in the Old Testament from the law of Moses. And so they were saying, no, give, give, give me the fat. Give me the good stuff. Give, me, give it to me raw. We're, we're doing a barbecue, right? Um, and if the man said to him, let the let let the let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish he would say no you must give it now if not i will take it by force now, there's some ungodly leaders right there who forced themselves upon people the people of god worshipers who are coming to offer up sacrifice and worship to god Thus the sin of the young man was very great in the sight of the Lord. This is important. This is what God saw. This is what God, according to verse 17, it was great in the sight of the Lord. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Here's a contrast. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. His mother used to make it for him, make for him a little robe and take it to him each year. 
when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then, so then they would return to their home. And indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived, and she bore three more sons and two more daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Amen. So Hannah ended up being pretty fruitful. Three more sons, two more daughters. That's a total of six. Six children. Of course, Samuel was dedicated to the service of the Lord. And what we have in the contrast of Hannah's true worship, right, and the, her devotion is we have these, these corrupt priests who failed to worship God appropriately. And then we also have the contrast of Samuel. There was a lack of godly leadership, a lack of godly spiritual leadership in Israel at the time. These were dark days for the Israelites. And it was affecting all of Israel. They knew about what was going on. And the story gets worse. It describes their immorality, their manipulation, their greed, their misrepresentation of God. They didn't know God. When people don't know God, respect God, they're given over to all kinds of corrupt practices and injustice that harm others. And it's even worse when they're religious leaders, those who are in authority, and they affect and permeate more people. I think it's interesting to note that some of Jesus' harshest words were for religious leaders who misused their authority and misrepresented God. I mean, he called them sons of the devil. That's pretty strong, right? And so we see how God feels about ungodly leaders who misrepresent him to the people. Eli's sons were corrupt priests. They were described as worthless men who didn't know the Lord. They were immoral, selfish, greedy, and they showed contempt for the Lord's offering. They didn't take God seriously. They lived as functional atheists. They didn't live as if God sees everything and God knows everything and, and we must all give an account before a holy God. They functionally lived as atheists, like, there's no God. What's he going to do? Right? Or, or they functionally lived as, as if God is a pushover and God doesn't care about morality, right and wrong. And so we see this corruption here. I like how Eugene Peterson describes it. He says, religion for the two Eli boys was a chance at privilege and power by which they were thoroughly corrupted. Power has a tendency to corrupt. Okay? It's, it's a sad thing when people pursue ministry for the sake of privilege and power. There are some ministry positions and churches that provide some good benefits. But it's a sad thing when people pursue ministry because of the benefits of some kind of comfort or security and ease rather than a heart for the Lord to minister to the Lord and to minister to people. Perverse, it's twisted. Ralph Davis says that regarding Eli, for Eli, blood was thicker than fidelity. See, all the while, under Eli's leadership, he was allowing these things to happen that he knew about, he heard about, and he didn't stop. He didn't speak up to, because that, those are his boys. What do you do? When it's your own kin, your own family, do you, re, do you regard blood thicker than fidelity? Or do you not show favoritism and you take a stand and say, this is wrong. You can't do this. You're misrepresenting God. Um, this also reminds, this hyperlinks us back to an Old Testament story in Leviticus chapter 10. Nadab and Abihu. Okay? Just read, read briefly about them. And now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, okay, the priest Aaron, each took his censer, and they put fire in it, and laid incense on it, and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, when, which he had not commanded them. 
And fire came down from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. And then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. Here's a lesson to learn through Hophni and Phinehas, through Nadab and Abihu. And it says that Aaron held his peace. I know these are weighty verses. We don't spend our quiet times reading these passages, right, to get encouragement. But these are sobering. And in 1 Samuel chapter 2, we must behold both the goodness and the severity of God. God is not a pushover. He's not a pushover, right? He's a holy and a just God. And if we saw things... Now, I think, I think stories like this may offend us and may make us object to God. Like, God, I thought you're just. I thought you're righteous. Why'd you do this? And if we don't understand the holiness of God and we don't understand the bigger story of redemption history, then we're going to come to those conclusions. God says, among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. Let's go on. Story gets a little darker before it gets better. And now Eli was old and kept hearing all that his sons were doing to Israel, how they lay with the women. Okay, we know what that means. Right? They were immoral. Who were serving at the entrance to the tent of the meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? I hear of your evil dealings with all these people. No, my sons, it is not it's it's it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him, but if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Here's the contrast. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow, both in stature and favor with the Lord, and also with man. By the way, this sounds very like, very much like Luke 2.52, about Jesus becoming king who grew in stature and favor. He grew in wisdom and stature, finding favor with God and man. Right? And so God was raising up a leader in Israel, a prophet, at this time, when there was ungodly leadership. In verse 27, they came, and there came a man of God to Eli and said, this kind of like a Nathan the prophet kind of guy, but we don't know his name. Okay? Nameless, faceless, prophetic man shows up with a word from the Lord for Eli. There came a man of God to Eli and said, Thus says the Lord, did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I not choose them out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priests, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of the people of Israel. Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I have promised that your house and the house of your father should not or should go in and out before me forever. But now declares, now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will be no old man in your house. And then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel. And there shall, there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one whom I shall cut off from my altar shall be, a, be spared to weep his eyes out to grief his heart. Out out to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. 
We're almost, we're almost done. I know. Is this heavy? Aren't you glad he came today? And this shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and shall be assigned to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and my mind. And I will build a sure house. And he will go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, please put me in one of the, one of the priest's places that I may eat a, eat a morsel of bread. There's the whole chapter. First Samuel chapter 2. Behold the goodness and the severity of God. Behold, God is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our worship, rendered to him both in joy and reverence for who he is, what he has done, and what he has said. And he will raise up those who represent him well and respond to his worth. And he will remove those who don't represent him well. Notice the contrast here with Samuel. In light of these ungodly leaders who were damaging those around them, they were toxic leaders... God was raising up a Samuel. Okay? Which, by the way, y'all remember what his name means? I don't think I mentioned it last week. His name means heard of God or God heard. There's, I think, two words put together. Shema, here, hero Israel, and El, God. Okay? Heard of God. God heard Samuel's cry or Hannah's cry and answer. And surely there were others in Israel crying out, this is wrong. This has to stop. This is not good. God heard. And God spoke to Samuel. And then the people heard from God through Samuel. I love this verse 2. He, he was ministering to the Lord. Verse 18. He was ministering before the Lord. Verse 21. He grew in the presence of the Lord. Verse 26, Samuel continued to grow in stature and favor with the Lord. So while Eli, or while Phineas and Hophni are descending in their corruption, corrupting and being corrupted and headed towards death, God is raising up a godly leader who will make a difference in Israel at that time. Notice that he was ministering to the Lord. I think this is important for anybody who engages in ministry. It starts here with, with this relationship with God. If we're so focused on ministering to people and we care little about ministering to the Lord or being ministered to by the Lord, from the Lord, then we are missing it. It starts here. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength receiving from Him and letting our cups overflow into the lives of those around us, into our family, into our community, into our church. When ministry becomes so people-centered that we forget God, who is the source of life and love and truth and every good and perfect thing, we begin to idolize ministry and make it what it was never meant to be. And, And... become in danger of offering up strange fire. And so he ministered to the Lord. He grew. And by the way, let me just let me just say we're all called to continue to grow. Yeah. <laughs> none of us, none of us have arrived. If you've been walking with God for 50 years, you are not beyond the necessity to grow, to keep growing as a follower of Jesus. We are disciples, we are students, and we are to continue to grow uh, grow in grace in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Second, to, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18. That's not just for baby Christians. Now he said in 1 Peter 2, for baby Christians, or for Christians to desire the pure milk that they may grow thereby. But 2 Peter 3, he says, in light of ungodly leaders, false teachers, corrupting and being led astray and leading others astray, You grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Samuel grew. We are to be people who grow. What's your next step for growing as a follower of Christ? We talk about that here at City Church. Next steps. There's always a next step. 
Right? There's always a next step in following Jesus. And so it's good for us to, to identify what is that next step? Am I stagnant in my walk with the Lord? Have I just forgotten that I, I need to grow and I need to take next steps to grow as a follower of Jesus, as a, as a minister, as a witness, as somebody who has spiritual gifts entrusted from God to, to be used for the edification of the church? Okay, that's side side note there. Thank you. So Samuel, let's look at the contrast here between Samuel's Samuel and Eli's house. Samuel was serving the Lord, and we see these liturgical sins among Hophni and Phineas. Samuel was serving the Lord. We see these moral sins from Hophni and Phineas. Samuel was growing. We see this prophecy of judgment. Your lampstand's going to be removed, so to speak, as Jesus put it in Revelation. I think it's much worse here for these guys than the lampstand being removed. It's judgment. And First Peter tells us that judgment starts with the house in the house of God. Okay? This, this story just kind of points to what Peter said in the New Testament. Okay? And then we, but in contrast, we see Samuel serving. It's not all negative. There's a lot of negative, and we need to be those who are realists as Christians and be able to acknowledge the brokenness of this world. It's not like it's supposed to be. And in many places within the church, it's not like it's supposed to be. There's a lot of corruption that needs to be dealt with. And we don't need to just stick our hand in, in, the, in the sand, our head in the sand and act like everything's okay when it's not. We need to acknowledge it's not like it's supposed to be. And we need vision for, from God for, for, for what it is to be like. What's to, what it's to be like in our lives. Be what you want to see. And what God has called the church to be. We, we see, I love this, we, we see a bad report, I don't love the bad report spreading abroad, but I love that in contrast with God raising up a Samuel, Samuel hears from God in chapter 3, and his word went out to all Israel. Here's ungodly leaders spread, having bad, bad reports being spread that, that just you know make God's name look bad to the people, and, we, and then we, we have this... God bringing an end to their, their leadership and, and God raising up a Samuel and, and his word going out to the people of Israel. What we see about leadership and, and through Samuel's life in 1 Samuel is that the leadership of Samuel teaches us that a leader God uses listens to God, follows his word, and courageously speaks it to others. Samuel became a leader who listened to God. He became a leader who spoke God's word courageously. He shared with Eli this dream that he had, right? He ended up having to speak a hard word to the king that he anointed Saul, probably at the risk of his life. Samuel ministered to the Lord and to people. Samuel learned to live well, even among corrupt leadership. He grew and he flourished into the man that God had called him to be. Here's a little snapshot ahead in 1 Samuel 12 of his leadership. This is what he said to, to Israel. Moreover, as for me, far be it that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you will still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Notice the contrast here. He was interceding. He was committed to interceding for the people of Israel. And he considered it a sin if he failed to pray for the Israelites. And if he failed to teach them the good in the right way. The other guys were just straight up transgressing the boundaries. And Samuel's like, I'm, I'm sinning if I'm not praying for you as I ought to. If I'm not teaching you as I ought to. Here's a godly leader. This is what godly leadership, godly spiritual leadership looks like. And ultimately we have that in Jesus, the great intercessor. Jesus has showed us the way. 
He's modeled for us how we are to, to live in intimacy with the Father. He has taught us how to, through His teaching, how to live a kingdom life. And He has given to His church pastors and teachers and those who will care for the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. And so let me close with a couple points of application here. Know that there will be corrupt religious leaders who damage the lives of many. The New Testament has a lot to say about false teachers and false prophets. May not be our favorite subject to address, but it is a reality that must be addressed. Grieve over their destruction. Grieve over their destructive ways. Pray for their repentance and their removal. Humbly correct them and know that God will deal with them justly. Check out 2 Peter chapter 2 and some of these other scriptures. Also know that, that spiritual leaders will give an account to God. And James says that they will be held to a stricter judgment. Right? To whom much is given, much is required. And so that should be sobering for anybody leading, serving within the church. And so let us take God seriously. And give the proper weight to him and what he says. Be zealous for the honor of God's name and be confident that he will raise up leaders who will honor his name. And that may be you, saints. He may be raising you up to be one who represents him well. I think he is. Right here in little city church garland raising up men and women who will hear from God who will follow his word obey his word courageously speak his word at the risk of being defamed canceled persecuted bullied falsely accused he's raising up leaders who will be a light a witness for him amen I'd like to give us some space to respond in praise to God as the worship team comes up and leads us. Let us sing to God in prayer and praise. And let us respond. If God's if God has highlighted something in your heart, in your life this morning, bring it to God. Know that there's hope. If, if you find yourself in a bad place right now, know that there's hope because Jesus is your intercessor. Jesus is your Savior. Jesus has the power to cleanse and change you and me. And if we're going to face this, the corruption out there in the world, it starts with facing the corruption right here inside of us getting the log out of our own eye before we try and we go to remove a speck in someone else's and so Lord would you search us and reveal any wicked way in us and lead us in the way everlasting would you sanctify us by your truth would you give us your heart Help us to see you clearly and accurately and worship you appropriately. You are good, great, just, and true. And there is no one like you.